I'm Chris Kreitcher, and this is the New Rust Station Podcast, a 15 to 20 minute show about learning the Rust programming language. This is episode 15, Not Dumb Pointers. A bit of news before we kick into gear here today. First, in short order after the release of this episode, tickets for RustConf will go on sale. RustConf is September 10th in Portland, Oregon. Speakers should also be announced fairly soon. Second, if you're on the other coast of the United States, the Rust Belt Rust Conference is coming up as well. It's October 27th and 28th in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Speakers and topics for that have already been announced, and it looks like a pretty great conference. You should definitely get to one or the other, or both of those if you can. I'll also let you know of more conferences as they come up. And, of course, you should also keep an eye out for local meetups, or if there isn't one in your area, you should think about starting one. I mentioned in the last episode that I was curious about and would love to promote other Rust podcasts, and it turns out there is one other one out there at least, Rusty Radio. I actually knew about Rusty Radio, but I thought they'd gone off the air, gotten busy with other things, and I'm happy to find that they haven't. They have a slow but steady recording schedule, so you can find them on SoundCloud, and of course I'll link them in the show notes for this episode. Another thing. I want to remind you about Exorcism. I mentioned it a long time ago, but I just started playing with it myself this week, and if you're just starting out with Rust, it has a series of problems ranging from the old Hello World to write a parser for part of the fourth programming language, and it has built-in test suites for every one of those problems to help you through it. It's really, really good stuff. And in fact, it's really good stuff for a lot of languages, not just Rust. Take a look. One other big thing, since the last time I recorded, I actually wrote an RFC. As you may recall, RFCs, requests for comment, are the official way changes make it into Rust. And in this case, I made an argument several thousand words long for requiring documentation to accompany all new changes to the language. You can check it out at rust-lang.org slash RFCs slash pull slash 1636. There have been a lot of Rust RFCs. Now, today we're going to talk about a number of kinds of pointers in Rust, and this will pull together things we've talked about going all the way back to episode two and the summary of ownership and borrowing we went through there, as well as pieces like the box and vec types we've talked about in between. We'll also look at some closely related types like the RC and ARC types and see when and how we might use them see what some of the constraints on using them might be. This is the kind of episode where there's frankly a lot going on, and it depends heavily on other things going on in Rust. But it's also the kind of episode where we get to see how those pieces come together to give us some very powerful tools for dealing with complexity. But since there is a lot going on, let's start by reviewing briefly three topics that we should have in the back of our heads as we go forward. Ownership, the distinction between the stack and the heap, and lifetimes. And if you start to feel in over your head a bit, don't worry. There's a lot going on here, and it may help to go back and listen to episodes 2, 5, and 13, which covered ownership, the stack and the heap, and lifetimes. Now, first, let's think back to our opening discussion of how Rust handles ownership of data. The basic idea in Rust is that we're going to keep our code safe from things like dangling pointers or bad memory accesses by tracking the ownership of every item in the program. 
One function can lend another function a reference to a given piece of data while holding on to the ownership of that data itself, or it can move the ownership of that piece of data over to the other function. But no piece of data is destroyed via a destructor until the function which owns it goes out of scope. Once the owning function does go out of scope, the data then gets cleaned up automatically. You never have to write free. Second, Rust, like all low-level languages and many high-level languages, can allocate memory in two places, the stack or the heap. The stack is where all data which is purely internal to any given function normally goes. So when you write let x equals 10 inside a function, it goes on the stack. However, sometimes we need data allocated in different ways. For example, if it needs to live beyond the scope of that function, or if we need to be able to resize it arbitrarily, like we do with a vector type, vec, which we talked about a little while back. For those scenarios, we can allocate things on the heap instead. And we've talked about a number of heap-allocated types so far. Box, vec, and string are all heap allocated. In a few minutes, we'll also look at two more, rc and arc. Third, remember that lifetimes are Rust's way of making it clear how long any given reference, that is, when we borrow a piece of data from somewhere else, has to be valid. This becomes very important when talking about these heap-allocated smart pointer types because they are all pointers. Now, you don't have to write a lifetime on every box reference, but because boxes or RCs can contain references, and when they do, those internal references need to use the same lifetime specifiers you would in any other context, you need to keep these things in mind. Dealing with these types is just like dealing with any other type. Dealing with these functions is just like dealing with any other functions. These are things that ship with a standard library, and they're built on fundamental Rust primitives. But because they're built on those same fundamental Rust primitives, the same constraints apply. These aren't special cases. So we've gotten back up to speed on the pieces we need to talk about these things. Let's start by talking again about the box type, because we'll build on it with a bunch of the other types. The ideas we introduce here will carry on. Imagine you're writing a program, and you have an open reference to a file, and you want to be able to read from that reference any number of places. Note that I'm not suggesting the particular approach we're going to talk through here is a great idea. I'm just using it because I think it's relatively easy to understand and fairly common. In this scenario, you might have a type, we'll call it file data, and you would declare it struct file data, and it might have some metadata about the file and the contents of the file attached. But if you did that, if you included the contents of the file, and it ended up being a large file, then it could end up being a very, very large struct, and you might not want to be passing it around all the time. Moving around data is expensive. In that case, then, it might make sense to create the type and return it on the heap by creating a box wrapping the file data. In that case, you would have a smart pointer to the file. Now, I said smart pointer, but why smart? Well, because the pointers you're used to, if you're coming from C especially, are probably dumb pointers. All they do is point to things. And the semantics of a dumb pointer in C are very, very simple. They they point at things. But that means that any and all memory management involving pointers in C is 
by necessity, a job for the developer, not the compiler. In C, the compiler doesn't handle any memory management for you with heap-allocated objects. So you'd better watch your malloc and free calls. If you mess them up, you're quite possibly in trouble, and you probably won't know it until something explodes at runtime. Smart pointers, by contrast, have smarts to them. When you heap-allocate something using box it has the same compiler-level cleanup intelligence as any other type in Rust does. To be clear, this is not specific to Rust. C++ has its unique pointer and shared pointer types, and those have a fair number of things in common with the other types in Rust we're going to talk about today. But as usual, Rust's types have better safety guarantees. When a smart pointer type goes out of scope in Rust, it automatically gets cleaned up. And so does what it points to. So if you have a box pointing to some data and that goes out of scope, you get to the end of the function which owns it, not only the pointer, the box itself, gets destroyed, but also any cleanup code associated with the type it was pointing to runs for that data. So going back to our example where we wrapped our file data struct in a pointer so we could hand it around. If you've dealt with those kinds of things before, you know there might be some cleanup involved. If you had an open file descriptor, for example, you would need to close it. And in Rust, we would do this by implementing the drop trait on the struct and then implementing the drop method, which would get run when it went out of scope. If you're feeling rusty on traits, you can go back and listen to episodes 8 and 9. In this case, our box file data would get rid of the heap-allocated data, but first it would run whatever code was in the struct's drop method. It would clean up after itself. The pointer is smart. And this is the same basic principle that makes types like vec or string work. Internally, they just employ their own smart pointers. Although in those cases, it's not box. If you get all the way down, it's the unstable unique type. Hopefully at some point that will become stable and the Rust core team will flesh out how that works. For now, you can only use it in code where you've specifically flagged and only on the nightly compiler that you want to use it. But that's how a fair number of the internals and primitives of Rust are currently implemented. In any case, it's still a smart pointer at the end of the day. So that's a nice combination of increased convenience and safety over C-style dumb pointers. But where this really gets good is when we're dealing with, say, types that need to cross threads, or even that just need to be shared around with multiple references to them. Imagine you have some data that you need to pass, as I just suggested, from one thread to another. If you know the data is immutable, you're fine. You can just move the data to the other thread. And in many cases in Rust, that's actually exactly what you'd do. Passing things around behind smart pointers all the time is an anti-pattern. This isn't Python or C-sharp. We don't have a garbage collector cleaning up heap-allocated memory all the time. But there are times you need smart pointers, and times, like passing things from one thread to another or having multiple references even within one thread, when you need things beyond what just having a box gives you. Why would you need it in those cases? Well, thinking back to that file data instance we were talking about before, how would you know when it was safe to get rid of it if you had more than one reference to it? If it went out of scope in one spot but not in another, or especially in one thread but not another, and that drop method we implemented for the drop trait ran, and another spot was still pointing to it or another thread was still pointing to it, all of a sudden you would be back in that same familiar 
nightmarish mess anyone who's tried to write thread-safe code in C has found themselves in. And in that case, it wouldn't matter whether the data was mutable or immutable. You could still be left pointing to it and not realizing that it had been deleted, cleaned up, maybe overwritten by something else. Like I said, a nightmarish mess. And of course, if you think about it, if you start sharing around references to objects, you can run into that same problem anywhere there's asynchrony, whether it's across threads or just in one thread. Gladly, smart people have come up with some other smart pointer types that can and do help us with this problem, and they're built into Rust's standard library, as well as other programming languages which handle this similarly. Swift, for example. For thread-local, immutable data, we have the RC, or reference counted type. This type lets us have more than one reference to the same data when we need it, but only in a single thread. And the RC does just what the name says. It counts the number of references to a given item. You cannot mutate the item. You cannot mutate the thing that the RC points to, but you can pass around as many references to it as you like within a single thread. Whenever you need another reference to it, you get one by calling the clone method on the RC. So if we go back to our example of a file data struct, let's say we had an instance named FD for file data. We could wrap that in a reference counting pointer by writing let wrapped data equals RC new FD. Then when we wanted to get a copy of the pointer to let other pieces of the program use it, we would call the clone method by writing wrapped data dot clone. Under the covers, the RC type has a count of strong pointers to whatever data it's wrapping. Anytime another pointer reference is created, that count goes up. Anytime one of those pointers goes out of scope, the count goes back down. And as long as there is at least one strong pointer, the underlying data cannot be allocated. In addition, there can also be any number of what we call weak pointers. Weak pointers, unlike strong pointers, do not contribute to the count that the reference counter is keeping track of. They're a way of expressing in the type system that the thing they're pointing to doesn't have to exist. You can think of them kind of like an option, but for reference counts. And in fact, when you try to access them, an option is exactly what you get back. How do you make a weak pointer? Normally you do it by quote-unquote downgrading an existing reference count instance. In our ongoing example, where wrapped data was the RC we made a minute ago, you might write let weak FD ref for weak file data reference. Let weak FD ref equal RC colon colon downgrade wrapped data. Then to get back at the data after you've got a weak pointer to it, you can simply call weakfdref.upgrade using the upgrade method, and that will give you an option, just like we said a minute ago. If you're wondering when exactly you'd need weak references, well, suffice it to say there are a lot of circumstances they'd apply in, and we'll come back to them at some point in the future. For today, it's enough to know that they exist and how to make one and how to get at the data from them. Of course, everything we just talked about is grand, but as we've said all along, RC instances are only allowed within a single thread. And as we said when we started talking about these, we need to be able to share data between threads sometimes as well. For that reason, we also have the ARC, or Atomically Reference Counted Type. Atomic types in general are types that, and here I'm about to quote the Rust API reference, when used correctly, synchronize updates between threads. 
That means that when we use these types correctly, they're a safe way to share data between threads. Like RC, ARC types let you pass around references instead of copies while still maintaining safety guarantees. And the API is basically the same as the RC API. You make ARC instances with ARC new, you downgrade them with ARC downgrade, and you upgrade their corresponding weak types with upgrade. What's different is that because you need stronger guarantees about their behavior, there's additional machinery that runs behind the scenes, so to speak, to make sure that the operations are atomic, to make sure that the threads stay in sync. One additional note, with both RC and ARC types, you can use the make mute method to always get a mutable reference to the data as long as the wrapper itself is mutable, even if there are outstanding references. How does that work? By copying the data if it needs to. This is an approach called copy on write, where you don't make copies of data unless you're changing the data. And if you don't need to change the data, you can always just use the get mute methods instead. They just return options. So if there are other outstanding references, you'll get back none, because in that case, you're allowed to mutate it. This behavior, and in fact, everything we've just talked through, is the product of two of Rust's core philosophies, zero-cost abstractions and only pay for what you use. It's not that doing something like reference counting is free. No, it's that you have to pay that cost no matter what if you're doing these kinds of operations. And Rust doesn't make you pay any extra cost beyond what you would pay writing these by hand to get the same safety and performance guarantees. In fact, in a way, it makes you pay less because the compiler can make these guarantees for you. And that's a big deal. Hopefully you now have a bit better an idea of how the smart pointer types work in Rust, and hopefully you'll feel more comfortable using them when you need to, or even just understanding what's going on when you see them in other people's code. I know my own understanding of these got a lot clearer as I did the preparation for the show. Today in particular, I'd really like to highlight and thank the kind people who sponsor New Rust Station. If you noticed an increase in the quality of the audio listening to this episode, it's because of their generosity, the listeners who've steadily contributed to the show over the past many months. I was recently able to buy a top-notch recording setup because of that funding stream, and now it's paying off for everyone listening, as my audio quality should be much improved from here on out. So, on that note, thanks very much to Chris Palmer, Daniel Collin, Rafe Levine, and Vesa Kailaverta for sponsoring the show this month. You can see a full list of sponsors in the show notes. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, you can set up recurring contributions at patreon.com slash or you could give a one-off at Venmo, Dwala, Flatter, PayPal, or Cash.me. Or, of course, you can just get in touch with me directly. You can find links to those, as well as some examples of using smart pointers at newrustation.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at newrustation, or you can follow me there at Chris Kreitcho. You can always help others find the show, and I would really appreciate this, by rating and reviewing it on iTunes, or by recommending it in another podcast directory, or of course by sharing it on social media, or even just telling a friend. Please do respond. I love to hear from you on social media, in the thread for the episode on the Rust user forums, or on Reddit, or via email. Say hello at newruststation.com. Until next time, happy coding. Thank you.